I'm your host, Nick Dyson, the Scientific Director of the Mass General Cancer Centre, and this is episode 45. Today we're talking with Ethel and Tim about the paper that they recently published in Science just in March. And this paper really addresses a very important uh, question in cancer biology, which is the sort of significance of lymph node metastasis and the route that tumour cells take when they metastasize. So thank you for uh, joining us, Ethel. And first of all, just to get into the paper, I was hoping you could give us a description of the basic experimental outline that you set up. So for um, asking this question of do cancer cells in the lymph node exit the lymph node to see distant organs, we use three different cancer cell lines, and they're all murine uh, cancer cells, so that we could inject them in syngenic mouse with an intact immune system. Uh, we use the 41, which is a triple negative breast cancer cell line, the B16F10, which is a melanoma cell line, and SCC7, which is a squamous cell carcinoma cell line. And was there a particular reason for picking those? Uh, we just wanted to do these experiments with uh, multiple solid tumor types, just to see whether our results that we get was specific to one tumor type, or it was Mm -hmm. are relevant across the board. And so these cancer cells were engineered to express a photoconvertible protein, which is dendro. We had two forms of dendro, either the cytosolic or the dendro H2B, which is a nuclear. And the reason, the nuclear expression, um, the reason we did that was because um, uh, we were going to do a lot of intravital imaging. And so we wanted this protein to be localized to the nucleus so it would enable us to visualize cancer cells better on the two-photon microscope. And so the way we set up this experiment was we injected these dendro-2-expressing cancer cells in the mammary fat pad, in the case of the 41 cancer cells, and waited for them to metastasize to the lymph node. Uh, Once we obtained lymph node metastasis, we resected the primary tumor, and then we photoconverted cancer cells specifically in the lymph node from green to red fluorescence. We then looked for these red fluorescent uh, cancer cells circulating in the blood as well as in the lung in all three cancer cells. Uh, cell types. And that sounded like, you you make that sound so simple, (laughs) but actually that's an incredible amount of work, isn't it? It is. It took me five years or so to do that. (laughs) Yes, yes. This really is looking for the needle in the haystack. That's absolutely correct. So when you irradiate the, oh, sorry, when you, yeah, irradiate's the right word, isn't it? Yes, it's UV light. Okay. When you irradiate the lymph node, uh, how many cells do you think you're photoconverting? So we quantified uh, and characterized that uh, step, and we were getting about 60 to 70 percent of the cancer cells in the lymph node that were photoconverted. And there were about, how many, was it 1,000 cells in the lymph node or 500? Yes, about 500 to 1,000 cells. And and then you're then uh, chasing the fate of those 500 cells. Exactly. Um, And basically they can go anywhere in the body. Exactly, yes. And so once we did that experiment, we actually were able to identify um, CTCs in the mouse that had their photoconverted lymph nodes, circulating tumor cells uh, that came from the lymph node because they were red fluorescent um, cancer cells. Um, We then looked at the lungs of these animals that had their lymph node converted, and we were able to identify uh, isolated cancer cells in the lungs that have actually originated from the lymph node. And uh, I have to mention that these results were um, uh, seen in two of the three mouse models. So we only observed them in the breast cancer and the B16, the melanoma cell line. We did not observe this um, in the squamous cell carcinoma cell line. It just says that 
there's variability and the invasive capability of these cells differ. Right. And it wasn't that the cells were invading differently. It was that you didn't get metastasis. Is that right with the, that third cell line? That's correct. Yes. yes. So you went on a hunt then to find the red cells, the photoconverted cells. And I remember you saying that you were able to isolate some from the blood. And it was quite a small number, as I remember it. It was, um, it was very, very few cells that I was able to, yes, identify in the blood that came from the lymph node. Um, and uh, these circulating tumor cells um, could have been, uh, we had to do some more characterization with these cells, but they were uh, so rare that we could just isolate these cells and actually put them in tissue culture dish, and they were actually viable, and they grew really? in, in cell culture, which tells us that these are just not dead cells or autofluorescent yes. cells that we were able to uh, identify. Yes, yes. So once you had found that you could detect cells in the lung, that told you that at least the uh, cells could go from the lymph node to the lung. Absolutely. And, um, and then I imagine then the question was, is that the only route that they would take? And, and um, how significant is this relative to the primary metastasis from the tumor to the lung? Correct. So we did further experiments where we were asking, can the cancer cells exit the from the primary tumor directly invade blood vessels to seed the lung? Yes. Um, the answer is yes. So what we did is we actually injected these gender-expressing cancer cells in the mammary fat pad. And pr before they get to the lymph node, we photoconverted cancer cells in the, in the primary tumor right. and then looked for these red photoconverted cells and we were able to identify these circulating tumor cells which came directly from the primary tumor. Yes. We also did experiments where we prophylactically resected the lymph node and injected the mam uh, mammary fat pad with their cancer cells, and we were able to detect lung metastasis and CTCs, which, which tells us that that came straight from the primary tumor. Right. So, so you're left with the conclusion that there are two different routes that the tumor cells can take. And, and there, you have a statement in the paper where you say that every mouse that you examined showed evidence of both of those routes being used. Correct. Uh, that's absolutely right. We, um, the other cool experiment that I did not mention was where we injected two color cells, one are uh, dendro-expressing cancer cells um, in the lymph node and the red fluorescent uh, expressing cancer cells in the mammary fat pad. And then we looked for these two color lung lesions and we were able to identify a lung lesions that were derived from either the lymph node or the mammary fat pad. And like you mentioned earlier, yes, we did see a widespread in the ratio of green to red uh, lung metastasis, which suggests that these cancer cells that can come from both, from both routes, uh, but the... Um, uh, because it's a mouse model and it's a 41 cancer mouse model, uh, we cannot definitely say what percentage comes from each right. Um, right. Our organ. Yes, yes. So you know that both are being used, but but you don't know which is predominant. And, and it sounded like it must vary quite a lot from mouse to mouse. That's absolutely correct, yes. Yeah. So it, there's some uh, stochastic variation in the results of the experiment. Yes, yeah. yes. So um, once you'd established then that those two routes did exist, what was the next uh, step that you went to? So the next question that we asked was, if these cancer cells exit the lymph node, how does it do it? 
Uh, so there are two possible routes that cancer cells can take to exit the lymph node. One is either they can exit through the blood vessels or they can exit through the efferin lymphatic vessel. And our hypothesis was these cancer cells exit through the blood vessel. The reason that we hypothesized that was because from a confocal microscopy images, when we analyzed metastatic lymph nodes, we saw a large number of cancer cells that were associating with blood vessels yes. uh, in the metastatic lymph nodes. And when we quantified this and did analysis where we measured distances of cancer cells from the cell centroid to the blood vessels, we saw um, a significant fraction of cancer cells that were either inside or associating with blood vessels. And, um, I I was surprised by this when I read your paper. Were you surprised by this when you saw the result? I was. I was because that's the um, the dogma or the thought in the field is that at least in human patients, cancer cells move from uh, one lymph node to the next in a chain through the efferent lymphatic vessel. That certainly does happen, but nobody has ever shown that the cancer cells can actually exit through the blood vessels, yeah. which could have very important implication when uh, therapeutically. Right. Right. So the initial indication was that you were looking at the dispersion of the of the cells within the lymph node, and you saw that there were many more of them close to the blood vessels. Correct. Yeah. So that suggests that this is not a passive process, and there's yes. probably an active process where cancer cells are uh, potentially being attracted towards some signal in the blood vessel that could lead them to exiting and getting out into the systemic circulation. Right. right. And then uh, you could have stopped at that point, but you went on and you did what seemed to me to be an incredibly difficult experiment, which was to actually visualize the circulating tumor cells moving towards those blood vessels. Yes. Which seemed incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, to, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that took me several hours in a dark microscope, two photon room, and many, many animals to actually visualize um, cancer cell movement and motility towards blood vessels and actually seeing cancer cells inside blood vessels. So in Tim's lab, we have developed a chronic lymph node window, which is a titanium plate that we surgically implant on the tumor draining lymph node, and that can stay on the mouse for about 14 days, wow. where we could actually visualize cancer cell growth in the lymph node and see you know blood vessels and immune cells and how their interaction with cancer cells in the lymph node and so what I did was I looked at these um, the tumor draining lymph node that was expressing these dendro uh, green fluorescently uh, labeled cancer cells and uh, injected a red fluorescent labeled dye to label the blood vessels. And by two-photon microscopy, we could actually visualize a lymph node capsule by second harmonic generation. And so that could give us sort of a structural overview of the lymph node as well as looking at the blood vessels. And then I did time-lapse microscopy to uh, look at these cancer cells and you know how they interact with these stromal cells or blood vessels. And I could actually visualize these cells that are um, hugging blood vessels, um, as well as cancer cells that are moving inside blood vessels with the 41 mouse model. And so you had the device in there, for, you said, for up to two weeks. Yes. But you're in, how long a period were you imaging when you were doing the experiment? So each imaging uh, session would last for about two hours or yeah. so, but then I would come back the next day and do the imaging on that very same mouse in that same location, and yes. so I could do it for several days um, over. And the same cells were in the same location, so are I, they moving very slowly, that slowly? I could not tell that, mm. so I could only tell in the two hours how yeah. much they moved. So. Um, 
if I was able to photoconvert like a single cell and for me to come back the next day and visualize that may be a little difficult. Okay. So within a, a two-hour time period, um, do you see a cell then invade the blood vessel or does it? you said it's hugging the blood vessel? So I have seen several cells that actually associate and hug blood vessels, and then their movement is not very significant. Mm. But I did get lucky, and there's actually a supplementary video in my paper where I actually saw a cancer cell that was moving inside a vessel. Yes, yes. Yeah. That sounds like a great video to go and watch. So yes. that's in the supplementary data for the for the paper. That's correct. And, and the uh, uh, paper materials will be put on the website uh, so anyone listening to the podcast who's interested can go and download them okay congratulations on a fantastic paper thank you and uh it's a really an amazing piece of work there are the major technical hurdles that you had to overcome to do it and the thought that, that you were working on this for five years really puts <laughs> it into perspective for us thank you so, thank you very much and i was hoping tim that you'd be able to give us some background into what is the bigger question uh, that formed the the background to this paper yeah sure yeah so um, we've had this interest in lymph node metastasis and really asking what happens when cancer cells arrive in the lymph node. And we had published a variety of papers, and some of the feedback that we've been consistently getting from reviewers was really highlighting controversy in the field, yeah. which was some people really believe that lymph node metastasis were helping drive cancer progression, and others were really questioning us as to why we were studying lymph node metastasis because although it's a prognostic indicator in disease, it's really unclear whether it's important for the progression of the disease. And, you know, that feedback was really driven, not, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative on the reviewers because that actually, they were raising a really critical question. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, if lymph node metastasis are actually driving disease progression, then they need to be treated. But that treatment actually does not come without a cost. And mm -hmm. I sort of mentioned our work in lymphedema. There's 3 million Americans that have lymphedema because of removal of lymph nodes. Yes. And so there, there is a, a critical balance of being effective in your cancer treatment, but not over treating patients that may not need it right. and causing these right. side effects right. like lymphedema. And so you're trying to make that balance, but you need to know what the relative risk is of the cells in the lymph node. Exactly. And, and that was what was unknown. So as yeah. we were sort of hearing this, that's what to us was the unanswered question, mm -hmm. was can cancer cells sitting in the lymph node actually be a source that seeds a distant metastatic site. Yes. Could that be the source of a lung metastasis or a brain metastasis? And again, there was clinical trials that were sort of supporting both sides to that question, and neither were specifically defined to answer it. And because of some of the tools that we had developed in our lab, we developed ways to, again, do intervital imaging where we take the living animal and actually image the lymph node um, we can see basically lymph node metastasis growing and see where the cells are migrating. And then we, um, Ethel actually came up with the, the concept of using photoswitchable proteins. So these are proteins that are fluorescent and they'll fluoresce a, um, a color initially. And so we chose one that fluoresces green. Mm -hmm. And then if we expose it to certain wavelengths of light, they'll then 
fluoresce red. And this then gave us the ability to tag um, cancer cells that had been in the lymph node and ask questions about whether they, they spread further. Um, and so with being with that ability to then tag these cells, we can give sort of the first direct evidence to this question of what is the real um, importance of lymph node metastasis in driving cancer progression, yes. and can they be the source? And that's that's really what led us and motivated us to the paper was the clinical question, mm-hmm. this feedback that we were getting from a variety of sources, yes. and then you know a potential sort of technology advancement that would allow us to give the first direct evidence for yeah. it. Yeah, it's a great study. So, Tim, um, when you look back at the paper, what do you see then as the major take-home messages uh, from the study? Yeah, so to me there's there's two, which is the first is it is possible that lymph node metastasis can seed distant metastatic sites. Um, and so that alone suggests that there is potential malignancy in the lymph node metastasis. It's not just a prognostic yes. indicator. And the second thing is that what actually surprised us was the route mm-hmm. that the cancer cells took to escape the lymph node. And now, and in saying that, we didn't show that the cancer cells could leave through lymphatics that drain the lymph nodes. I, I personally believe that does happen because it can be seen clinically yes. where you see lymph nodes along chains. And um, actually, a, a group in Vienna had shown invasion of the lymphatics in the lymph node previously. Um, but what we showed is that there is an additional route, which is that the blood vessels in the lymph node can be invaded by these cancer cells. And that gives them easy access to escape through the circulation. And with that, it sort of helps us define potentially some of the, the, the biology of why it's happening. Because mm-hmm. if they're crawling toward blood vessels, that might suggest that there's sort of metabolic needs for why these cancer cells are, are crawling in those oh, directions. So if they're crawling to lymphatic vessel, it gives you more of like a chemokine flavor because yes. they're following like normal immune cell trafficking. But since they're headed toward blood vessels, it might be that there's a more of a metabolic drive that's sending them there. Uh, but again, this is all to be explored. Yes. And, you know, sort of taking both of those hypotheses yes. in stride as we're moving forward. Yes. Uh, you're still left, though, with understanding which is the primary route of migration. Have I got that right? Have yeah. Um, and I think the, you know, it, in our paper, we also show that you can get seeding directly from the primary tumor as well. So it's not an either or, and, and both are occurring. And I always like to think of our, our mouse models, even if we study you know, 30 mice with the same tumor cell line, that's yes. really representing one patient, right? The, the, the diversity of the genetics and the heterogeneity that we capture in 30 mice is really the equivalent of probably one patient's experience. Yes. And so I don't like to extrapolate our findings from these few cell lines to a broader context. So yes, we don't really know in an individual patient what the risk of lymph node metastasis spreading further is if it's happening at all. And the same is true in the primary tumor. So there might be patients that only spread through, like to distance sites through the primary yes. tumor. There might be some that are really yes. driven by lymph node metastasis. Some might be both. And yeah. at the moment, we don't have. And do you think that that's an intrinsic feature of the tumor? So, uh, 
it's a thought experiment in a way. If that same tumour were allowed to grow uh, multiple times, would it always metastasize through the same route? Or would the, that tumour metastasize through the lymph node one time, another, another time it would have been equally well able to see directly into the bloodstream? And, and so it's a stochastic um, result rather than an intrinsic feature of the tumour. Um, so I think, so I mean, the fact that we're doing sort of multiple trials yes. of the same tumor line in mice yes. sort of helps us answer that. And so um, our data show that in our mouse models that in each case we saw direct seeding from the primary tumor and from the lymph node metastasis. Mm -hmm. In individual animals, there was more of a contribution to lymph nodes in some. Yes. But do we understand why? Yeah. No. It could be location. Yes. It could be, you know... In some lymph node metastasis, they fell closer to blood vessels initially, so they didn't feel hypoxic, lack of oxygen, and go there. Yes. In other cases, the primary tumor might be growing more slowly, yeah. or yeah. so. And you know, the immune system is always playing a role in all this too. And you know, predicting immune response right. is you know challenging mouse to mouse right. to mouse anyway. Right. So and as it would be in patients. Yes. And uh, in your paper, you used different cell lines that you implanted in different locations. Yeah. Um, and then were draining into different lymph nodes. So do you think different lymph nodes behave differently? Or, or when you, you know, is one lymph node equivalent to another lymph node? There's really not that much difference. Um, it's actually really interesting. There's actually a lot of very old data, in, in specifically in mice, yeah. that the sort of above the diaphragm biology <laughs> is different from the below the diaphragm biology when it comes to even angiogenesis and tumor growth and specifically lymph node metastasis. Yes. So um, we actually grew both sides and didn't see much difference. Huh. But um, in terms of like vaccine responses and other things, there, there has been shown these weird sort of... Yes. Um, generally, I like to break my lymph nodes into tumor-draining lymph nodes and non-tumor-draining lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. So I think those are different. I think even a lymph node in an animal with cancer is different from a mouse that uh, is completely naive. Yes. So I think it's, you know, the again, I'll go, sort of go back to my view of the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is really sampling local tissue, local microenvironment. And that's what distinguishes it from your blood circulation. Yes. It's because your blood circulates, it goes through the heart, and everything gets mixed. But what your individual lymph node sees is really what tissue it's draining from. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that the lymph draining from your arm is different from the lymph draining from your liver yes. or your gut. Yes. And because of that, each lymph node is exposed to different you know, antigen, different metabolic chemokines, lipid levels, everything. Yes. And so generally, yes, lymph nodes are different from wherever you're sampling from yes. just based on what they've experienced. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was struck by in the experimental design you were resecting the primary tumor when you were doing these experiments, and I wondered whether that had an impact on the actual results. Um, it. So I would say that was partially practical yes. but also partially mimicking what's happening clinically. Oh. Um, you know, primary tumors are removed frequently mm -hmm. and you'll see late recurrences on lymph nodes. And I think in terms of our view on where lymph node metastasis spreading is probably going to make the most impact, it's going to be sort of in that late recurrence in a lymph node 
understanding what the risk of distant metastasis in that patient is. Yes. Um, but also at a practical standpoint, you know, if you don't remove the primary tumor, the mouse is probably yeah. going to die from yes. that before yes. you're able to really... Yes. Because they're quite large tumors that you're putting in or, or that you're growing them to before you look for the yeah, so, CTCs. Yeah, we resect them before they get big, but yes. if we allowed them to keep growing through the process of letting lymph nodes metastasis form, then they would be yes. huge and, yes. and not, not really a good experiment anymore. And when you think about trying to connect it to uh, human disease, is there a particular type of cancer where the, you think the lymphatic involvement might be greater? So, I mean, there's, there's clear, you know, you know, clinical data to suggest that like head and neck cancer, lymph node metastasis are a major problem, a major player. Um, in uh, prostate cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, all these, you know, there's common, all have a lymph node component where you can sometimes see these late recurrences that mm -hmm. are driving and, and they're common sites of metastasis. But, you know, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, all have a lymph node involvement. Um, I think the other aspect that we haven't really even touched on, because it's not really part of this yeah. paper when you start thinking about lymph node metastasis, is thinking about their role in the immune system mm -hmm. um, and how when you put these cancer cells into this organ that's supposed to be helping you potentially right. generate anti-tumor immunity, yes. how is it affecting their ability to do their job? Yes. Um, and again, when you start thinking of lymph node metastasis, and I've been using the, the word driving cancer progression, it could also potentially mean this impairment yes. of the ability of the body to stop yes. progression and yes. this metastatic spread generally, even so if it's not from... When we think about checkpoint inhibitors and them playing out uh, their role, this might be a perfect location. Yeah. Or it could be one of the reasons why, you know, so philosophically... When you think of a normal, uninfected, non-healthy individual, their lymph nodes all day are sitting there looking at self-antigen. Yes. So they just sit there and look at self, 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 self. And so they're trained to not respond to that self-antigen. Mm -hmm. And that's through, you know, deletional tolerance in development, but also there's sort of a constant surveying and deletion of, yeah. of reactive clones that happens through exposure and lymphatic endothelial cells and a variety of other different methods. So when you think of the formation, initial formation of a tumor, you know, if it's not very antigenic, it can grow, cause inflammation and sort of physiological responses. But if it's not shedding antigen that's being identified as non-self, the tumor is basically going to get tolerized. Anything that's slightly different in this sort of, this is sterile inflammation type process there's nothing to react to so don't react shuts yes. down of the immune system yes. when a few foreign antigens come in it might just get picked up in that cell so I, I, to me it's a it's a fascinating yes. way of thinking about and then you throw in a cell that might have foreign antigen in the middle of it that's not supposed to be there that may not have the right mm -hmm. ability to express an antigen to generate a response mm -hmm. let alone thinking about do you want to generate uh, anti, you know, like a strong immune response to something yes. in the lymph node itself, yes. Yes. you know, so there yeah. might be ways that it shuts it down regardless. Yes. So this might be a safe site that acts as an incubator of, of metastatic cells. Yeah. Because it can be sheltered 
based on the lymph node's normal mode of operation. Um, So, yeah, so I mean, I think there's lots of interesting questions about... Yeah, that really is a fascinating perspective, yeah. Well, thank you, Tim, and thank you, Ethel. It's been uh, great talking to you both, and and, and thank you so much, and congratulations on a a really fabulous piece of work. Well, well, it's been awesome talking to you, and thanks for highlighting our work. Yeah. Yeah. To read Ethel and Tim's recent article at Advances at the Mass General Cancer Center, go to massgeneral.org slash cancer slash advances. Join us for episode 46, where Ethel and Tim will be back to help us understand where their team go to from here.